I want to get on a bus and get away from you and mom and hopefully be a different person than you two. Hey, I'm your father. And you may not want to listen to this, but you are like your mother and me. You're going to find that out. You're a very beautiful girl. It's up to you to be more than that. Welcome to the end of Mad Men from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we're talking about episode 10 of season 7 of Mad Men, the third of the final episodes of the show in this remaining half season. Yeah, it's called The Forecast. It was written by Jonathan Igla and Matthew Weiner, and it was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Uh, So AMC officially describes this episode the following way. Roger pawns off a project onto Don. Joan goes on a business trip. Peggy and Pete clash over how to deal with an account emergency. All and that's true. all that happened in this episode. Yeah, I would describe this episode using those terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did you think about this episode, Jake? Just in general. I loved this episode of Mad Men. Yeah. yeah. It was a really good one. Yeah. It was the strongest of the season so far? Of the of the half season. It's I don't know. I, I The first episode of this half season was really good and sort true. of That's and sort true. of the way that like you you picture like when you picture what a great Mad Men episode mm-hmm. is it is like all of that like back and forth crazy stuff in Sterling Cooper and just like That's the, true. the crazy world of advertising but this episode like especially I don't know there there's just the personal arcs especially of Joan and of sort of the original Draper family group mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are both so good in this episode. Yeah, I, I agree. This this to me of so yeah, I shouldn't have asked best of this. That's a silly thing to say when there are only three, but uh no, best of three is fine. <laughs> definitely the first of these three that to me really feels like it's part of the the final statement of the show. Yeah. Yeah, and like and yeah. I I think that it it's so to me it's funny. I was talking to uh, to Sarah about this and she she was saying how much she loved the sort of like almost joyful ebullient tone of this episode like there there are there's a lot of um just like outward expression of these characters mm-hmm. and while I, th- I i i totally felt that way about a lot of this episode but it was overshadowed to me by a really like really strong expression of what I see as this show's essential, like nihilism, um, via Don Draper. Yeah. Like, sorry. I'm nodding yes to you as if that communicates anything over audio. But sure, yeah. Yeah. That I, I think the show basically sets. the more I think about it, more I think this show, this episode essentially sets out its thesis in the opening scene when Don is trying to sell his apartment. And that was the opening scene, right? Where yeah. the, the broker is basically raking him over the coals for what a just a piece of shit, depressing, sad apartment this is, and Don is just like, I don't. What do you mean? It's great. Lots I know, but of- then like the opening shot is just the living room with like a deck chair moved inside. Yeah, yeah it's like a like a card table. Yeah. yeah, and a phone on it. Yeah. Um. She. She. I mean, it's so direct. It's so in your face. She. She's, you know, just looks like a sad person lived here, and Don's like, well, a lot of wonderful things happened here. Well, you wouldn't know it. Yep. It, I mean, it's brutal. And I, 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 over the course of the episode, every time Don checks in with her, 
he's like, I don't understand why you can't just make it seem like it's a great, just some really amazing yeah, person. Just like, I'm not a magician. Like, that is not yeah. what this is. Right. Don, th- this is the only way Don knows how to communicate things to people, yeah. really. Um, and it's he's sort of butting up against the like he spins that story about like a millionaire, yeah, who had, to, who had to jet She's off like, to another country. Uh, what this looks like <laughs> is your actual life, which is a disaster. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, this episode, you know, you said you you mentioned the uh, the sort of core Draper family thread, and and I felt both Don and Betty in this episode are shown to be. Hitting, I mean, they've they've both come up against the limits of their own methods a lot in the whole show. I mean, they're constantly like butting up against the world in ways that they're the way they sort of sail through the world yeah. doesn't actually work in all situations. This episode's like about but, that, though. Yes, exactly. This is oh. the episode where they, I think, come to terms with that, not just through like frustration, but through actual realization that that's how that's how it is. This is how the world is. You know, Don. Don <clears throat> Don is being, uh, you know, another thing Sarah was pointing out to me is that when, when Don is falling apart, it's when he's the nicest to everybody, you know, like, Don, what, like, it's true when, when Don is, when Don is in a situation like this, where he is sort of realizing things about himself, it's when he's kind of most affable and easiest to get along with. And he's, you know, when he rubs someone the wrong way, like when he rubs Peggy the wrong way in this episode, I mean, he was being a jerk, but I don't think it was intentional. He wasn't trying to make a point. He was just failing to, to communicate. He was, you know, yeah. uh, For the most part in this episode. And and I think generally speaking, when, when Don is in these moods, he, he's actually a pretty decent guy to be around. Um, like when he's in sort of self-reflection and self-realization. Right. Yeah. Uh, so well, but, he, ste- he steps outside of the sort of whatever it is that he is when he's, mm-hmm, right. you know. But it's still ultimately not going to work because of everything that came before. And it's the same with Betty. I mean, Betty is tries pretty hard to, like, forge a connection with Sally. You know, she wants to, when, you know, when I was a teenager, we got into trouble. And, right. you know, she's trying to, she laughs off Sally's kind of scorn, but it, it ultimately is it's not it's not making it no. you know i mean she she wants this to work and sally is done with these people these weird people who <laughs> she she, dominate she her life. almost makes it out in that conversation uh with sally but then sally makes that pregnancy joke and she's yeah. just like everything's a joke to you yeah mm-hmm. it's like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of man when you say but, everything's a joke to you that that kind of uh, also, everything is a joke to her when she's talking to her mom. So, like, it's no, not- no, 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 no. I know it's totally true, but it, it, that, that just, I think, you could, you could take that, that thing that that Sally says, and I'm sorry, that that uh, Betty says, and just put it on Don, basically. I mean, Don, like, I don't know. One of the one of the I think really great through lines of this episode, maybe the great end of this episode, because I think it really speaks to the the thing that I was the sort of general theme I was talking about is Don trying to write this statement of the future by like mining everyone's ideas for it. He sort right. of covertly keeps planting I know. this in people's brains and is getting him nowhere. Uh, he, he, he can't figure out how seriously to take it or not. 
you know, when when Peggy like shares with him these very sincere aspirations she ha- has of being the first female creative director of the company and so on and so on, it is it is kind of a joke to him, but not because he knows what he's looking for, but because he doesn't. I mean, he 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 doesn't. God, he even he even like starts to his goofy secretary when she's reading back his notes and she thinks maybe he was talking about a space station. He's like, uh, it's a gas station. Like he doesn't, I'm going all over the place here. I need to formulate my thoughts a little bit more, but I, I, I feel that the Don trying to, to come up with a vision of the future and totally failing, I think is exactly in line with this larger crisis he's having. Mm -hmm. He has no idea what the point of any of this was for. Uh, he, his situation up to this point is rendering him incapable of existing in the world going forward. And he's realizing that, but totally helpless about it. Like he's, he's really unimpressed that Ted Shaw and, and Peggy, their vision of the future is this very, um, mundane, like I want to be more successful in the context of the job I already have. Right. Which is like, but that's coming up against basically he literally created his entire identity. Like who is the person was actually, made from nothing to be the ideal version of what they're aspiring to be. And they're also like, even Peggy's like, I'm under no pretenses about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even Ted Shaw, who like, yeah, know, he's like, Oh no, I foisted this off on you. Like, cause you're way better at just spinning this bullshit. Right. Well, but, I, but what I mean, yeah, no, yes, that was really great. By the way, that scene between the two of them. Yeah. Um, but even Ted Shaw, who almost wasn't, almost didn't allow this company, this current version of the company to exist mm-hmm. because he was so disillusioned with, this sort of chasing the next client, yep. you know, writing the next piece of copy. And now he too is just like, Oh, I don't know. would like to get like a, what is, I don't even remember what he said, but car company, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. It's like, you know, and, and, and Don can't understand this way of being, but it's the way of being that he has enforced like for himself and for everyone around him. Like he, I mean, right. The way that he dragged everyone's lives through the muck in the first few seasons of this show was like, in pursuit of or dismissal of things at that scale of existence. Mm-hmm. Like the entirety of the reason that everyone's lives, not the entirety of the reason everyone's lives are bad, but the reason that the company has the insane history that it does is because that's just mm-hmm. the sphere that he lived in. And he would, he would, in those early seasons, he would ridicule anyone who would, who would start waxing about like any more, any ideals more poetic than that. You right. Know, I mean, you, you, like, you imagine Don saying basically it's just a car or stuff like that to mm-hmm, people. Yeah. I, I don't know what he actually says, but that yeah. effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. What a good episode. Um, so I, I can probably stop just rambling about that, that thing that I was rambling about, but uh, do you want to talk about Glenn? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about Glenn. <laughs> what an amazing reveal. And he I was so happy that Glenn showed up. I know. And that it's like 70s Glenn. He's, 70s he finds new ways and... of being kind of creepy Glenn. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Except now he's magnetically creepy. Too, yeah. In a, in a way. I mean, I guess he and Betty always had this weird thing, but like, man, it is, it is it good. there now for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. What to say about Glenn? Yeah, because, yeah, Glenn and Betty had always had a thing, but it always kind of felt like Glenn had a weird sort of slightly above his years crush on Betty. Mm-hmm. And she kind of was fascinated by this weird kid, right. but it was not in, in any way reciprocal. But now, like, it's just as years have gone by, apparently, it's just supercharged. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he comes in with his his shirt unbuttoned. Yeah. And, oh man, uh, the the scene with, I mean, the initial scene with all four of them, with you know Betty, Sally, Glenn, and Glenn's whoever that is. Uh, the sort of crossing of eye lines and the sort of shifting of gaze throughout that scene yeah. was pretty fantastic. The, uh, Dana pointed out, and I had to go back and rewatch it, but just. Sally Draper's performance during that entire scene is completely insane. Like, cause, because of just because of the, the ways that she's looking and like the sort of also the editing, because she'll, she'll be watching her mom and Glenn. And then like, you'll just get like four frames of sort of like her eyes looking away and sort of right. disgust or just like, or like, what is this? Yeah. And then it just cuts to someone else. But you're just like, I, uh, that whole, yeah, the, everything the, like Glenn's girlfriend to Sally, Glenn to Betty, Betty to everyone. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, oh man, it's good. Yeah. The, uh, the actress who plays Sally has prize winning side eye. Yes. It is, it is a, an achievement. Uh, and, and yeah, Betty, Betty, um, as you say, like Betty and everyone in that scene, her, her shifting. Cause between, she's like Glenn, Glenn's girlfriend, her daughter. Like, right. What is like, yes. Her, her shifting between weird passive aggressive mother to like sweet kind of housewife figure right. to uh kind of suspicious towards teens adult right. uh you know to like object of Glenn's desire like the way that she's constantly yeah. modulating all those is pretty And pretty then they then they throw the insanity of Glenn enlisting to go to Vietnam into the middle of everything which then just makes everything mm-hmm. like the scene keeps going oh, yep. it's really good yep totally changes the register and like Glenn's reason for going to Vietnam is actually legit. Until then, of course, later in the episode, it's turned out that that's just him being a blowhard because he I mean, failed it's probably school. both. But, but yeah, I yeah, mean, well, it's yeah. it's part of why he yes. justifies it to himself. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for him sure. saying just a bunch of minorities are going to war while we all sit at home and get stoned. Like that's actually fair. That's right. totally fair. Like mm-hmm. good. Yeah. But also, man, that makes everyone go completely insane in a mm-hmm. way that that was good. Yeah, it was really good. <clears throat> and is another version of it's like a, a different side of what happened uh, of, of sally draper losing her mind with a hardline opinion to someone's face and then going to her room and going oh maybe i talked really loudly about something before i actually considered what it meant like the the other extreme version of that that happened in mad men was when she took a big dump on the moon landing yes, went on the phone exactly with her dad yeah which was like the most that that scene like destroyed me. For, mm-hmm. uh, I know teen I, teen remembering reasons, but yep. like when when they rate Sally to do that stuff, it feels so honest to that age in a way that like absolutely that you yeah. wouldn't expect from a show like this that is so much about adult relationships and getting mm-hmm. adult stuff right. That it also like with Sally, they're so good at having that same crazy succinct punch of a character moment, mm-hmm. but like for a 15 year old or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think as far as adults go, I think that part of, I mean, you know, neither of us have kids, so we can't speak to this directly, but I would have to imagine, um, that part of being an adult past a certain age is that kind of like crushing intersection with your child yeah. in that, in, in that mode. Um, the, when, okay, so I guess to follow up on Glenn, I guess I, there's stuff to follow up on both with Sally and with Glenn. Yeah, we could save Sally because yeah. that, that becomes like epic in this mm-hmm. episode as it goes on. Yeah, but to to wrap up Glenn, God, their follow up 
encounter. Yep. Uh, pretty amazing. The thing that, <laughs> so there, there, I mean, obviously that whole scene was laced with sort of innuendo and, and tension. Uh, but then Glenn just absolutely goes for it. Yep. And the thing, the way that, that, uh, that Betty rebuffs him. Because I'm married. Because I'm married. Yeah. Not for any of the other reasons. Not like, this also is... you're a creepy kid. Also, I thought you had a thing for my daughter. Also yeah. a million things because I'm married. It was like, well, I guess in some ways that is kind of the proper thing to say in a weird, weird, outmoded way. But also, well, it's that, too, just, that just belies yeah. some weird things going on oh, in Betty's yeah. brain. I mean, it's two things. On the one hand, it's the thing you say to let him down easy. Right. Right. If, if yeah. you, you, that's one thing you say that like makes him feel like he's, n- you don't make him feel like an idiot for just being a kid. But on the other hand, she probably also kind of meant it that way a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it was not entirely for his benefit that she said it that way. It sort of allows them both to continue to frame this as uh, sort of a forbidden. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's probably still stronger on his part, but, but you know, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of that that she likes to indulge for sure. Sure. It, yeah. Yeah. There was also the music in that scene was incredibly, I, I'm sure intentionally melodramatic and, you know, she tears up as he leaves. I mean, they really played the, that angle. Yep. Pretty hard. Man, that scene opening with her giving Glenn a beer and then him saying, they have beer over there. I know. It's like, oh, you are a kid also a thousand percent. Yep, a million dollars. Drink in Vietnam. Like, nice. Mm-hmm. Cool kid. Yeah. Yeah, that super mad many writing of going from him giving, being given a beer and being peers, then saying... They have beer over there, and her being like, "Yeah, I guess it's pretty." They have all the modern amenities, and yeah. then him making the move, and then her saying, "But I'm married." Like all those happening within like one sixty second chunk mm-hmm. is a thing that this show loves. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I was getting at last week that I felt was a little bit maybe lacking slightly from last week's episode was that ability to like get so many angles of yeah. of a, of one or more characters. In such a short amount of time. I mean, yeah. that is not, this was not a super long scene, but oh my God, it, it, it goes through a lot. Yep. Um, so I don't know. You want to get back to Sally then? Yeah, I suppose. I actually don't remember the next scene with Sally. Well, Sally, the whole. Well, it's when they're at dinner with her friends. Right. Because right? it's, it always framed with Sally's going on this trip. So I guess when she goes through New York, she gets dinner with her dad. Yeah. Before they all get on the bus to go on their big, on their mm-hmm. big trip. I don't know if there's a ton to say about the actual dinner scene, although I guess the the sort of what's your future thing does come up again even there because Don's asking everyone at the table what they want to be doing with their lives and right. Sally's like, I don't really know. I just want to eat dinner. It was the end of her, yeah. the end of her conversation yeah. when she gets really mad. Mm-hmm. But well, Don's like, well, it's good to have achievable goals. Or yeah, whatever. like just total <laughs> dick. Yeah. But this, the, the sort of rejoinder to that, the end of that scene with Sally and Don right before she gets on the bus was like, ridiculous to me i don't know like that scene having sally express her like read on her mom and her dad felt like like at the beginning of at the beginning of this podcast we talked about like oh maybe we're not even going to see betty again this season and that scene with sally talking to don was like oh we're idiots for even thinking that it would be on the table to not (laughs) have don and betty Mm -hmm. both in the show because like seeing you could have just Sally in the show and Don and Betty would still be in the show. Yeah. She is just, she is both of them fully. Yeah. But the, yeah, her, <laughs> her saying the things that she said about 
the way that her parents are and how she sees them basically as a unit and as the same people and as sort of like two sides of the same person, how she's absolutely not going to be those things. And then Dawn... Actually, okay, I have to ask you because I couldn't quite hear what Don said to mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. where he said, you're very – Oh, yeah. You're, he says something to the effect of you're a very beautiful person, but it's up to you to be more than that. Okay. He said it's up to you because I thought that he said like I expect you to be more or something. And I was like that seems like a dangerous oh. way to say it. But I couldn't hear – I couldn't hear okay. the exact wording because it, it landed in the well, like, John sure. – It landed in like the John Hamm uh, mumble zone a little bit. Right, right. Um, and I, I couldn't get subtitles to show up. But – um. Yeah, it, but generally the the sentiment that you said is about about what I expected, mm-hmm. which are sort of what I took away, which f- feels like it's also reflective to when he kind of gets when he gets when he gets browbeaten by, by the guy that he that yeah. he fires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely, because I, because so like I was saying earlier about Don's Don's method of of operating in the world, allowing him that has allowed him to get to where he is. But maybe is not ultimately a satisfying way to exist. Like, yeah, it's just, it, that's, that is like part of it. Okay. So I feel like Mathis telling him off by saying, look, you're just handsome. That's how you get away with this shit. Um, part of that is like Mathis just isn't as good as his job at Don is. Mathis doesn't know how to read a room. Right. Like, Mathis doesn't, but part of it is also true. Like part of it is also, yeah, his, uh, like the, the good looks and charisma and power that he just has as an aloofness person. And, yeah. Constructed humor. He's able to get what he wants by being the person that he is as much as it is by the fact that he's also as great at his job. Right. But it only gets, it only gets him, it only gets him anywhere with these sort of external comforts. Like it only gets him, it only achieves on the level that that operates on, yeah. which is, which is the surface. And so he, when he, I mean, he knows he correctly realizes that Sally is of course her mother's daughter and her father's daughter. Um, and yeah. he doesn't want her. He's self-aware enough. Or so like, you're going to be able to get what you want just by existing basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that is not actually what you think you want and what you're going exactly. to get is not necessarily right. what you actually need and what you should be wanting. Exactly. So like, look out, yeah. basically. I hope mm-hmm. you – I imagine that he's sort of saying, "Yeah, I hope you grow out of this in a way that is better than your mom and I who are apparently both realizing we're trapped. Right. Yep. Definitely. Um, and Sally, of course, doesn't get it or No, care. of course not. She can't. How could yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about Joan? Yeah. Joan, Joan had a really pretty intense – arc this episode um i think joan also i mean like everyone else on this show at this point is also sort of coming the the sort of limitations of her life are are also coming into stark relief um she might have there might be more there might be more salvation for her than for than for some of these other people though um she's she she is a little more aware of what she wants in her life um, it makes her a little more tragic because she has a more specific understanding of what she's not getting, you know, whereas at this point, when you look at people like, uh, Don and Betty and Peggy, and I guess Ted now, um, they all either don't really know what they actually need in their lives or have gone sort of past the point of no return or anyway, that's how it's being painted, for right. example, with Don and Betty. But, uh, Joan, I think, still has more of an understanding of what she actually needs in her life 
but it's kind of just been frustrated by the realities of her circumstance, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and hopefully this guy who, uh, comes back towards the end of the episode is sincere. Right. I mean, like hopefully, cause she clearly really likes him a lot. Well, Joan was like, I'll send my kid away. Okay. So did you, did you think she was being serious? Because I thought she was being totally sarcastic to throw it in his face. I couldn't tell. Okay. My, my, re- I, a lot of people thought she was being sincere. So maybe I miss, maybe I misread, but I really interpreted that as like, you idiot. You think that I would do that? Like, I'm like, I, I read that as her browbeating him. Huh. Because him I mean, like, because no, no, the no, scene right before that with Joan was her basically screaming at her babysitter. You're ruining my life. Yeah. Which, well, effectively screaming at her baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, but, but that's, you I know. don't, I, I was surprised that she went as far as to say that. And now you're making me be like, oh, was she, was that like, yeah, was I, there another I'm, angle that wasn't genuine to that? Cause I, I just wrote that in my notes. Like what? Like, holy crap. What do you say? What, yeah. Like, no, I, I, I really think that that was not meant uh, in a literal way. I think, and I think he understood what she was saying too. I mean, I think he, he understood that to mean like, okay, I deserve that. Like, okay. You know, I, 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 but, I, but it's also, but because it's mad men, there's, I do think there's the tiniest bit of her fantasizing I think, about, I think that about thought at that. least existed in her brain. Yeah, for sure. But I, mean, I read that as, as nothing yeah. but just like a genuine weird thing. But yeah, I can't, I just can't imagine Joan doing, it, I really it, can't imagine Joan doing that. Um, I, I would be interested to hear from, from listeners to the podcast, how you read that scene. Um, but, uh, cause I mean, it, yeah, the scene where she, where she yells at the babysitter and, and essentially her child, like, and then her kids like, you know, doesn't understand the meaning Friends of like, anything. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think she had a moment yeah. of like frustration, but, but she snaps out of it and then is ready to just toss this guy overboard. If that, yep. you know, like that, that was how, that was how I read it. Yep. I like um, the, I just, we, we sort of skipped the entire first half of this stuff, but. This opens with her basically being sent to the LA office to for to conduct West Coast interviews. Right. But then it's basically immediately revealed, it seems like, that she has to kind of clean house and that that place is just a piece of shit mm-hmm. at this point. Because Lou is – I forgot that Lou was like was sent out there to run the LA office, I guess. That's right. I didn't even remember that. Because he was there, you know. Like, yeah. Because yep. he was sort of the, the power player in – in Sterling Cooper and partners or whatever, right, but who was this, ruining the office. And then he got, he got right. But when Don came back, like this was, was like his, was his like you, you're just like loser mothball moves yeah. to put him in LA. Right. Yeah. And then he's taking meetings with Hanna Barbera, trying to sell his dumb comics right. to them and stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I hope that as discussed last episode, that tiny stupid beat was Lou's swan song. Right. <laughs> was having the secretary be like, he's taking some really serious meetings down here. And it's like, yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know about that. Oh, he's meeting with Hanna-Barbera. Oh, to sell a bad cartoon. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lou's last words on Mad Men. Joan, you coming or what? <laughs> yeah. That's fine. <laughs> fine. He might be back, but like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that whole that whole arc was pretty good it was just in the just if if in large part because it was just really nice to see joan have a nice thing happen to her yeah uh just seeing her enjoy getting to have the kind of flirtatious like weird chance encounter thing and just play that through was just nice to see yeah the, the the person that she meets is a person who 
I think I think that guy walked into the situation thinking that he just like ran into a pretty face, but then it turns out she's actually like an employed executive, and he's right. like, or it's like this is kind of actually like a relationship on the level that she maybe yes. deserves as far as like social status and competent human being goes. Well, and the I mean that was a that was a nice thing. I mean we know that we're we're not going to be surprised, or at least unless it's really weird. We know we're not going to be surprised that He's that guy yeah. like expects something fundamentally different about her career because before he even has a chance to say a word to her, she mistakenly introduces her, like introduces herself as a partner and an ex- and you know right. Oh, I'm actually conducting interviews for this huge ad agency in which I'm from which I'm a partner, and he's just like, oh, whoa, whoa. Well, no, I mean she yeah. she says that to him thinking he's yeah, the think he's she's an supposed, interview yeah. candidate. Yeah, so he yeah. meets her so as just like a boss, right. basically. Yeah, yeah, which, and which then, is a nice way for a man and a woman in this show to enter into a relationship yeah, and you know? the way that the way that all of the the sort of micro reactions of their arc over the whole thing i thought was very good where it's sort of they're they obviously hit it off really well they they the next time you see them they're in or not the next time you see them i guess they they have dinner but they're they're in bed together oh the next time you see them they are in bed together he yeah. gives him he gives joe and his card and then you see the two of them in bed together but then his conversation is telling the story of his divorce and how he kind of is done with his kids and stuff. And you see, and that's when Joan basically is like, yeah, I am late for work and she leaves, right. but like, they still, they, they mm-hmm. keep sticking together. But like that, I don't know. I, I, I liked the, just like, they clearly think each other is great, but there's all, there's just the, 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 the sort of fluctuations of the reality of their lives and sort of figuring mm-hmm. out if they will or won't end up actually lining right. up correctly. It was just done in a, in a, in a way that didn't take away from sort of, joan like getting this in quotes in her life but at the same time like it's not there's you know at no moment in the entire thing was it like this is just great oh yeah for sure yes yes which was which was which was nice Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah yep there were a lot of just nice interactions between people in this episode uh even though obviously it was all laced with uh kind of bleakness as this show was, was want to be but uh i really liked we already talked about the larger thread, but I really liked seeing Don and Ted share kind of a actual moment of equals, which is not a thing that happens almost ever with those guys. Yeah, it's, it's a reminder that, the, that, the, that these characters have been around long enough and this business has been around long enough that there are mm-hmm. other people who are at like who are at Don's level and have the experience level that he does and they mm-hmm. can actually work as peers and not just Don shitting on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Don, yes. <laughs> Ted turning around, turning the uh, sort of like I, you know, Roger tried to buy. Yeah, I foist this up and on then, Don, and then yeah. that just like instead of being awkward, is just kind of Don being like, ah, yep, and they they both just kind of, yep, you know, bat it back and forth for a bit. Yep. Yeah, that was a nice thing. There were yep. a lot of little moments like that in this episode. That did not go uh, in that direction with Peggy, though. Oh man, yeah, no, that <laughs> like those guys should be peers or more at this point like don's been kicked out of the firm and all this stuff but their relationship is never going to be one like that and peggy it has it has been like that at moments yeah but, but it's, it's always it's always there. those are always like moments that are sort of reaching for mm-hmm. a, uh a, like mm-hmm. a stability that's never going to exist though mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah peggy is like because she, she says ted told me that i have to write my own review but i want an actual review because i want to be recognized for the work that i've done right and then it ends with man the thing that it ends with uh, God, Peggy's quote of just like, oh, why, why don't you tell me your dreams so I can? No, no, she says, why don't you just write down all of oh, your yeah. dreams, period, so I can shit on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Walks out the door. Yeah, Don was Don left totally shell shocked by like, that. Oh, no, 
Yep. Really, really, that really said, good. Peggy saying that actually had, it left a mark on Don. Like, all of Don's interactions at Sterling yes, Cooper. They're all accruing. Like he, they, yes, but at the end of this episode, he is, doesn't, he doesn't one-up anyone inside of the agency, basically. I mean... That's kind of what I was getting at by saying when Don's in this position, he's kind of a nicer guy. Yeah. Like, he's not cutting people down, except for Mathis, I guess. Yeah, but even even Mathis even kind Mathis of got the last, the last word, word. where yeah. it's just... Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of. That scene, like, they were both right, in my opinion. In that yeah, Because when oh, Don definitely. gave him that information, it was like... It felt to me like anyone in in the world should have been able to pick up on, I, Don Draper, can say these particular lines and they'll work for me. You need to find the sort of squirmy dork version of the same material. <laughs> right, but yeah. instead, he's like, well, <laughs> like, oh, yep. no. Oh, no. <laughs> Tinkerbell cookies. <laughs> God, also all that Tinkerbell shit. Just garbage. Just total garbage up and down. Yep. And Don doesn't even well, he care asked, that it's garbage, really. It sounds like, yeah, when he was like, got anything else? Like, oh, we got this other catchphrase. Like, well, I guess he's like, that's One better. One in your heart. Don's like, what's wrong with that? Seems fine. But, it, I mean, it you know that he was also it. like, well, I guess that polishes the turd 10% more than the thing you had before. I am out. Like, can't even, yeah, is he just checked out? Also, it, it felt like he was just like, not my fight, whatever. That's better at least. Bye. Yeah. And then the, uh, when, when, uh, uh, Pete and Peggy are sniping at each other about that disaster of an account. Don is in the background, basically busting up. Yeah. Like, as they're just like, yelling at each other, he is just like smirking. He thinks well, it, it's incredible. It, it's interesting. It was like a dad it, watching his two kids. Yeah, all of that stuff feels like people are going to Don for dad's approval on this stuff. Well, they're like, you need to sign off on this Peter Pan right. thing. And he was like, whatever. But then it's, I thought, like, it's also kind of justifiable that that's his response because every other interaction anyone has with Don in this episode is not with him as a dad. That one thing felt like it was just like everyone's kind of whining because it's not going well. So they bring in Don and he's just like, mm. yep. I don't know. Don. Uh, Man, so I Tinkerbell stuff. I uh, know. <laughs> really, really, really amazing. Uh, so I guess we've pretty much caught, I mean, we talked probably m- more about, the scenes in this episode than either, than any of the previous two. So I guess we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. Um, with that last scene, which, I mean, that puts a button on it, right? Yep. Don just homeless, basically, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. After all of his, like, crazy cajoling for how she can, like, sell this apartment in a crazy way, finally she just sells it in a normal way to normal people. Yeah. And or the asking price, like, everything that he's got. And then it's like, congrats, you got it. The door closed. You're now out in the hallway. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I don't even know. I think I feel like that scene. It ends with her saying, "Now we need to find a place for you." Yeah. Like mm-hmm. what a good. Yeah. Yep. It's self-explanatory, right? Yeah. Like, what do we even need to say about that scene? As usual, the choice of end credit music in this show is like unbelievable. Yeah, it's good. It was. Uh... Oh, the one. Okay, stupid, stupid note about that last shot. It held for a dramatically long time for cinematic purposes, but it held long enough that I stopped looking at it as a shot and as a dramatic moment and it just looked at John Hamm's face and was like they just told you to act in a freeze frame here like this is a little bit <laughs> it held just like right. half a second long enough sure. that it was yeah, like yeah, whoops yeah. we're in like police squad yeah, territory right. but whatever mm-hmm. it was it was great uh i've been watching this show on uh uh live on a, on on live cable which is a thing that i haven't done for any show do they in, still do they do like the thing where it whooshes it into the corner and the guy starts yelling over yes. the song oh no oh wait no not the guy starts yelling it's next it's time what Mad Men does yeah which oh, is yeah. amazing or they're just- so it's I, I haven't this has not been a like I just don't watch anything like this anymore but since we're doing this podcast I figured I, I, I really should so I could see it on time the next time on Mad Men I just 
t- as I was watching it, I just typed what they were saying verbatim. The next I, time on Mad Men is even more extreme than the it's episode even more descriptions. Cryptic than the episode descriptions, yes. Yeah. What are you talking about? Okay. What are you doing here? You're the expert. Are we pr- really playing this game? You got me this time. Congratulations. I know. It was, it's amazing. It is like a, a surreal. It just sounds like clips from a Mad Men soundboard. Yes, exactly. That is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, so that's what's happening next week on Mad Men, listeners. Just this is a little. I can't wait to see. Tip. I can't wait to see those mm-hmm. moments. Um, so well, this episode is probably going long, but I, I do want to do some reader mail because we we have been getting some great reader mail. Uh, listener mail. I'm sorry. Uh, there were actually two different uh, emails sent to us about the state of French Canada, uh, or the, I guess sort of the cultural moment of French Canada at the time that this show took place. Um, both uh, Craig E. and David Levin wrote in about this. Um, they they both wrote pretty extensive emails, so I, I probably won't read both of them in their entirety, but maybe I can sort of get some some moments from uh, from both they both mentioned uh what was called as the quiet revolution craig e writes um around 1960 there was a socio-political cataclysm known as the quiet revolution that occurred in quebec the main province of the french canadian population in canada the revolution was very similar to the social upheaval sexual liberation questioning the state and other shit down that shit that went down in western europe and north america in the 60s but there was an added element of this ominous deep entrenchment of the roman catholic church in much of the quebec way of life when a new government came to power in 1960, the church was ripped out of the education and health care of the province, and hundreds of millions were pumped into new infrastructure, a massive new social service system, tons of new jobs, etc. Megan represents the first generation of French Canadians who, as contemporary analogs go, were kind of like being 10 years old when 9-11 happened. They experienced and took a part in this shift from what is frequently considered a dark age within Quebec to a new identity. The economy, education standard, world outlook, and sexual expression were bleak, outdated, and dire. Suddenly, you're seeing sex and culture in the argument for the identity of being Quebecois and a pla- people of a place in an idealism, solidarity, and a sense of refreshing, vigorous self that went beyond what was also fundamentally about being French-Canadian. It was weird, crazy, and apparently a ton of fun. Megan's mom, Marie, is about 60 by the episode's timeline of 1970, just a bit too old to be truly affected by or embrace these changes. You can see her own attempts at escaping repression and the underlying current of religion and tradition and guilt fundamental to Catholic culture. Eventually, she breaks free, bails on her unhappy marriage, and Megan's sister is super pissed about it. Megan and her sister really are that broad spectrum for this generation of young French Canadians. Megan has embraced her sexuality, female empowerment, employment opportunities, and escaping home for a new city. Her sister is a mother to some number of children and seems super disgruntled with her marriage and general domesticity, similar to Betty, who I've always hoped was named after Betty Friedan, author of The Feminine Mystique, and other housewives of the time. Uh, Further, Megan's divorce is seen within that Catholic refusal to acknowledge divorce, and that adds another level of guilt and complexity to her in the eyes of her family. Um... So uh, he he goes on and 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 uh, talks more about this. I'm gonna go see if I can if I can grab anything from uh, the other email from David Levin. Um, he says I'm not sure to what extent the writers intended to allude to Quebec's situation at the time because I always assumed that making Megan a French Canadian was a wink to Jessica Paré's own nationality, the actress who plays Megan. Um, He says, basically, Quebec, following the Confederation of Canada, remained a fierce conservative and Catholic province up until the end of the 50s. During the 60s and 70s, the Quiet Revolution occurs, leading to a large-scale secularization secularization and modernization of the province. Um, It always seemed to me that Megan has been, as Chris said, a more urbane and modern person than what I assumed uh, 
someone it would be in that time, but last week's episode juxtaposes her to her more traditional family. Her sister remains entrenched in traditional Catholic family values in which she bases her entire worldview, whereas her mom begins to reject the old way. Megan mentions her mom had been unhappy for a long time and seemingly embraces the new way of doing things by staying in New York and leaving her husband. Uh, anyway, they, they both wrote a lot about this, and I thought it was really interesting yeah. and much more informed than my kind of grasping. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we could sort of – you feel the generational shift, but it's cool that just – I imagine there's some amount of deliberateness on the part of the people who are making this show, but just hearing that, oh yeah, it actually completely tracks to the history of that time that you just might not know about as an American, mm-hmm. of, who is our age at least. Right, absolutely. It's cool. Yep. Uh, Trevor Metcalf writes in about The Sopranos. He says, watching this last season has been incredibly exciting as someone who watched The Sopranos, especially the last two seasons, and who adored the big ideas and themes from that show. Uh, Matthew Weiner wrote many episodes from those two seasons. In fact, he got the job because he pitched Sopranos creator David Chase, the pilot for Mad Men. It's been easy to draw an evolutionary line from mob boss Tony Soprano to Don Draper. Both are men in power in a hyper-masculine environment who struggle with expressing remorse or empathy due in some part to mother issues. Of course, in many ways, Draper is almost a response to Soprano. Throughout The Sopranos, Tony is almost able to grab hints of self-awareness or genuine empathy. Often these moments revolve around animals, things he sees as totally innocent in a very childlike way. Otherwise, he is never never able to move past his sociopathic, manipulative behaviors that make him both a horrible person and also a really effective mob boss. Don, however, has been shown in the past to experience moments of empathy and love for others, particularly with Peggy and his two eldest kids. That's what makes me so excited for these last few episodes. I have no clue which Don is going to prevail. The one who pushed for Peggy or the one who has been unable to have a fulfilling, healthy relationship with a woman for the duration of the show. Uh, Trevor Metcalf, uh, Danville, Virginia. Nice. Yeah, that's that's a nice parallel there. Um, let's see. Uh, Tristan writes, Hey guys, sadly, no gal would have loved to have heard her thoughts. True. Uh, we're garbage. Um, in a recent interview between Matthew Weiner and his sister, Allison Weiner, who is hilariously a talk show host, Weiner explains that he knew how he would end the show since he pitched it and goes on to say that around midway through the show running, he had planned out the scene. Exactly. My question is, do you think the show is influenced by this and how do you think the show will end? Cheers, Tristan. Um, I don't, I don't personally like speculating on how this show will end because I feel like it's not going to mean anything. Oh, it's just going to play the theme from the opening credits as a photo real version of Don Draper, <laughs> uh, leaps out of a building. Yeah. But it is really interesting. As, uh, but as, then it'll as, end like the Hudsucker proxy ends where he hits the ground and then it just cuts to a fat lady screaming. They're actually just going to use that shot that the Coen brothers filmed. Oh, interesting. They're just literally the same. They're yeah. not going to refilm it. No. Okay. Yeah, that's, it could be. Um, it is interesting, as as Tristan writes in, that apparently Matthew Weiner's has been carrying around the final scene for years, I guess. I wonder if he... So is, it, is that a recent interview? Yes. Okay. Because I always wonder about that, because I feel like there's... there's <clears throat> you know, carrying around the final scene for something is a thing that a lot of people do, I think, when they mm-hmm. are making a, a story that they have to maintain for a long time. And it's always interesting how much of that does or doesn't end up in what the actual final oh, scene sure. is. Because, yeah. like, you can say, oh, I've got the final scene in my head, and, like, maybe some of the plot beats are there, but the way that the characterization actually ends mm-hmm. up is completely different than what you'd imagined. And I mm-hmm. think it's even even hearing Matt Weiner say that, it's still impossible to discern what that means. Because, oh, like, course. if it's just, like, 
does he mean like he just has a final image, like the final frame that he wants the show to be, or is it like literally these plot events, or is it like, mm-hmm. or does he mean this is where I expect Don to be emotionally, and I've been writing towards that? You just can't even discern without mm-hmm. him true. telling you. Like we're probably yeah, not even going to know what that sentence means no, for ten for years sure. or something. You're in um, kind of like George Lucas. I had it all planned out all along mode, which yeah. is like, uh, and I mean, even yeah. like this, like. Like we're working in an office uh, at a game development studio making a game that's very narrative heavy, and we've known in quotes what the end of our game is since yeah. like the like third week of story meetings. Mm-hmm. But the actual the meaning of it has the actual meaning lot. of it has changed a million <laughs> times. The specifics of it have changed. Like the same basic setup is there, and we can with confidence say we've had the ending in mind since we started working mm-hmm. on this project. But even like our video game, that what that sentence means has like morphed a thousand times right. over the course of just like 18 months so matt weiner's thing i've known since like sometime in like season four or whatever I, i'm really curious if he would ever articulate what that meant or if we're ever going to hear what that means because that sentence unpacks i think in the in uh, fans brains mm-hmm. and different creators yeah. brains differently yeah no for sure it's the kind of it's the kind of thing that sort of ends up getting built up into um kind of myth of the auteur you know where yeah. where um, it's easy to use, um, uh, st- it's easy to take a statement like that, uh, package it into sort of a pithy truth and then use it to bolster the image of the sort of like untouchable. Yeah. Thing, to, to me, that means like at a certain point in production, he got some image in his head or some idea that was strong enough for how he was going to end the show that he then was confidently able to build towards a conclusion, which doesn't like, but that doesn't necessarily mean I knew the exact plot or like I knew where I wanted Don to end up. It's just sort of like, I think you can get, you can get to a certain point in a story where you just go, Oh man. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know where this is going. I know how this is going to end. And then you can still be loose in between those spaces, but of course, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he probably was like, it's perfect. The world is going to fade away from around dawn and then is going to be falling through a bunch of now very outdated looking advertisements. <laughs> the opening credit sequence is weird now because Mad Men has gone so far into the future that all of the ads that Don is falling into just feel dated, antiquated. Dated? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yes, that's true. Also, uh, I saw they one of the th- advertisements they had in between, you know, just in the ad break on the show when I was watching it last night was for some like fan recreation of the first episode of Mad Men or something. I didn't really get it. Uh, I guess a bunch of different people are recreating individual scenes from that and they're stitching it together into one. Oh, weird. Okay. Weird that's the thing that people do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the actual takeaway was, was that they, in the process of showing of advertising that concept, they showed shots, for, the actual shots from the first episode. And mm-hmm. it was crazy seeing how different everyone looks, including Pete, who now I keep meaning to mention every week, has just this unstoppable receding hairline, which is incredible. Yeah. When you think about what a baby Pete looked like in the yep. first season of this show versus what he looks like now, he still kind of looks like a baby because he just has that face, but also he's definitely an older man yeah. than he was before. Yeah. It's a bummer for Pete. Um, I have one more email to read just cause I want to, I don't want to okay. let it pile up week to week. Uh, um, Myra boxer writes, I wish I didn't have to write this, but it feels I feel like Don is descending into levels of purgatory. In this episode, the once stylish and pristine office looks careless and sloppy. Visually, there's a lack of decorum in the office. Don has a sombrero hanging carelessly on his walls. This is about last week's episode. Okay, yeah. Um, Don's uh, office just looks like some kind of just like... It's turning into looking like a middle-class living room to me, like an upper-middle-class <laughs> living room. Like his office, like, it's got that dumpy wood TV in it. Like it just, yeah. I mean, I know that's of the era, but like... 
even the way they shoot it, it looks like it's Don's house more than. Well, so his. here's here's okay. she continues sort of on that theme. Has anyone noticed the sharp lighting, which makes everyone look older and lined and tired? Not stylish, just overdone. Heavy blue eyeshadow on the women, Megan and Betty. Heavy pancake-like makeup on Peggy. Strange rules, too, now that Bert is gone. Two secretaries to answer phones for Roger. They're rude and bossy and disrespectful. Uh, Desks look sloppy. Meredith is critical and tough with Don. It could be argued this is a more realistic view of an agency, but nothing is visually pretty anymore. And seeing Don in his wretched apartment of Diane's, following by, followed by his entry into the once magnificent and now empty living room with sockets and plug, plugs sloppily draped on the rug. So sad. Um, I hope I'm wrong about Don entering purgatory. I don't like seeing the harsh, glaring ugliness. Maybe these seven episodes will be like Dallas's ending. All a bad dream for Don. Oh, well. Dallas ended over 25 years ago. The storytelling styles have gotten more subtle. I enjoy your podcast. Mary from Connecticut. Interesting that, okay. I don't know if I have a direct response to that email. So if you do, you should say it, but it reminded me of some stuff that I was thinking about watching this episode. Just when they're talking about like just the realities of, of Sterling Cooper being a subsidiary of McCann's and Mm -hmm. the era in which they're in is starting to really become apparent. And the stuff that, that, uh, that she's talking about in that, in that letter to us also reminds me of just what, what is the inevitable fate of Sterling Cooper and partners, given where we are in history. And the answer is it is just going to become to no longer exist. It's going it's <laughs> to exist, but, it, but it, might, it might spend 10 years before it dies as just like a drop ceiling aging shithole that right. has the same interior decor that it has right now. Mm-hmm. But you're in 1987 and you're still <laughs> right. inside that office. That's and totally it's like, true. All the glamour is going to be gone. Like even Don's apartment, and like uh, Dana pointed this out before, I really noticed. But just the way that the way that once it stripped of furniture, like last episode, it at least still looks like an architect an architect's like drawing of Don's apartment when he walks in and it's fresh. But they lit it dumpy this mm-hmm. episode, and like you just see like where the wood paneling is inevitably going to just peel a tiny yeah. bit, and like where yep. the ceiling is going to yep. get a little moldy, and the carpet already like yes. the, the sort of once passionate wine stain is now just like that's just gross mm-hmm. and like I, I noticed the, that era this era just doesn't age well it disappears into a big it's pile totally of crap true. and when you look around like, you know we live in san francisco and you it's a real bummer a lot of there are certain a lot of neighborhoods in this town that are really nice neighborhoods but are unfortunately had the the had the bad fortune to be renovated in the era that in which this yep. show was set and now they just have these bad carpeted floors yep. and bad wood paneling and these things that just do not age the way that the older homes here age really well with nice hardwood and like the nice older molding and, and all these things that right. that stuff that you can effectively just if you have to you can spruce sa- up. sand down exactly. repaint and refinish and it right. looks beautiful again right. whereas like it's funny because yeah like when the first half of season seven was on and when season six and five were on, season five and six were like prime romanticizing this era of like crazy bright colored square mm-hmm. fake wood paneling and like Roger Sterling's office and all this stuff. It made me actually when walking around San Francisco look at all of those sort of like later modernist buildings that were sort of trending into the gaudy look where like suddenly there's weird gold ovals included in all your design and stuff and going, you know – if these get a bad rap, but if people clean them up, they probably would actually look really cool. Like because mm-hmm. Mad Men shoots, but this they require stuff. constant maintenance. Yeah, like but then now, now everything has to be focused on. Yeah, now now seeing that this, I'm like, oh man! Even just lighting this in a more naturalistic way suddenly just makes it look dumpy. Mm-hmm. Like this Sterling Cooper, like especially as a subsidiary of a large company that clearly doesn't care about them really. Right. 
it's just there's nothing but decline in the in the mm-hmm. future of this company and like even like just the glamour of an advertising agency like it it comes back in the 80s in a different way but then it feels like it doesn't it's not really up until like basically the internet that you could have a culture even resembling the heyday of Sterling Cooper in this right, company right but even that is like but it's like has a, fake, a totally different yeah. vibe you know it's not this sort of like glorious edifice it's like hip young yeah, yeah, yeah. dudes pitching a multimedia strategy or whatever yes but there's just yeah it's just it's it's they're not they're not making the show about it but they're sort of starting the way that the evolution of the aesthetic of sterling cooper has always never been the point of the show but has always been a very conscious choice that's always sort of informing the mood and stuff and i think mm-hmm. i didn't pick up on it last week uh when what was the name of the person who wrote in Mary? Yeah, when when Mary, when Mary did, but this episode yeah. was just like, oh no, like this is this is gone. <laughs> yeah. It's already dead, done. Yep. Like yep. We're, it's it's fitting that they were acquired as we as we start to hit into this era because I I feel like if you're contrasting where the sort of um, cultural perception of this field goes from the '60s into the '70s and '80s, it you know. Obviously, in the earlier era of in the earlier years of when Mad Men is set, they still do big deals and they chase big deals and they have Roger doing deals and everyone's doing deals. But you get this sense that the deals are the result of this like very specific creative identity, or at least that's how they like to think of themselves. Um, whereas when you think of the '80s conception right. of marketing and business, it's all about the glorification of the deal itself. I it's guess that's like what I meant about business people doing business in business. That's what suits. I meant about about the re-rise of that of this right. stuff in the modern era is yes. that I think now advertising has gone back to. Oh, I see. I want I want a creative-driven team with a personality at its head, and I'm I'm buying into the charm and like charisma and raw energy of a small group of people who are going to deliver me an amazing advertising campaign like that seems like that's back in vogue in a way that it was not 15 to 20 years ago that's true i think you're right it's it's definitely except that now that industry has sort of i think successfully repositioned it as an aspirational thing yeah except yeah now everyone has uh now it's also called the creative industry yeah you've got to reclaim the wood table and a little like artisanal whiskey bar instead of exactly like Right. The most honed and well-lit Formica that you could have, which mm-hmm. is what, you know. Right. But whatever. Yeah. Um, All right. You want to wrap this up? Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for listening to the end of Mad Men. Sorry we ran pretty long this episode. I guess there was a lot to talk about. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, please rate us on iTunes. That helps out a lot. There have been some really, really, really nice reviews. So thank you to everyone who's done that. We really appreciate it. Um, tell a friend if they are also following along to the conclusion of this great show. Um we can be found on the internet at endofmadmen.com. There's links to our Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff on there, our iTunes page. Um, and you can send us email at madmen at idlethumbs.net. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. See you. Do you want me to do this or not? Why don't you just write down all of your dreams so I can shit on them?